So it's something that if you've listened to me quite a bit, you know that the Burr strategy, infinite returns, going into a deal, pulling all the money out and, you know, getting to the point of infinite returns is something that I'm super passionate about. But there are two sides to the story. And I think the other perspective is not talked about a lot. And so today we're going to talk about the infinite return strategy. We're going to talk about it and see if it actually makes sense in your portfolio and why it may not make sense for some of you. But sometimes it doesn't make sense to hold longer. So let's talk about infinite returns and see how for you, based on your goals in your portfolio, it may actually be slowing things down for you. Welcome to Generational Wealth MD's podcast on financial freedom through investing in real estate. My name is Param Baladandapani. I'm a mom, radiologist, real estate investor, and mentor to others looking to start or scale their real estate portfolios. Thank you for being here today. The goal of this podcast is to provide you with inspiration, strategies, and insight so that you can stop trading your time for money and live life on your terms. If you love the episode, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. Okay, then let's get started. So today we're going to talk about another controversial topic. I thought we did something a little interesting last week where I talked about tax returns. I talked about tax savings and how that's just a fraction of what you, you know, make in real estate. And we talk about bonus depreciation a lot. And that's something that's a perspective I wanted to share. This is another topic where, again, there are different perspectives, right? Infinite returns. It's something we always talk about with real estate. And it's, I think it's super fascinating. We actually, I have a free ebook and the, the name of the ebook is Infinite Returns in Real Estate and how that really propels you towards financial freedom. For those of you who haven't read it, I talk about two different strategies, infinite returns in six years versus six months. And that's available on the website, generationalwealthmd.com. It's just at the top. You can download the free ebook. So it's something that if you've listened to me quite a bit, you know that the Burr strategy, infinite returns, going into a deal, pulling all the money out and, you know, getting to the point of infinite returns is something that I'm super passionate about. I talk about it all the time. It's what I've used in my personal portfolio, but there are two sides to the story. And I think the, the other perspective is not talked about a lot. And so today we're going to talk about the infinite return strategy, right? We're going to talk about it and see if it actually makes sense in your portfolio and why it may not make sense for some of you, right? This is something where now that we're doing syndications with GW Capital, you'll notice that our hold periods are also shorter hold periods. Our egg plan, exit plan is between three to five years. And that's, again, it boils down to the same concept because sometimes it doesn't make sense to hold longer. So, so let's talk about it, right? So let's talk about infant returns and see how for you, based on your goals in your portfolio, it may actually be slowing things down for you. So I'm going to start off with an example. I've actually used numbers that are similar to a property that I acquired two years ago, but I, I, you know, reduced the numbers to make it easy for everyone to understand. So it's proportionate to the property that I acquired, but it's actually, you know, it starts off with a $100,000 property. So it makes it easy for you to understand the number. So let's start there, right? So let's say you have a property that's worth $100,000 and you acquire this with a 25% down investment loan. So you have $25,000 down in that property, put in it as a down payment. You go in, you put another 20000 towards rehabbing the property, making it look better so you can increase the value, you can increase the rents, right? So all in all, you have $45,000 in this deal at this moment, and you have a loan that's $75,000, right? Now, if you've done, you run your numbers right, and if you've used the, you know, if you've vetted the deal and you've done the strategy right, hopefully you've increased the property's value to $160,000 because of the value add that you've done, right? That's your classic burst strategy. So 
Now you have a property that's worth $160,000. You currently have a loan that's $75,000 and you have $45,000 of your money in that deal. Now, if you were to go and do a cash out refinance, right? So that's what the BRRRR strategy is about. The BRRRR strategy is B-R-R-R-R, which is buy, rehab, refinance, rent it, and then repeat the process, right? So what you're doing is you're going and rehabbing, you're increasing the value of the property, you're doing a cash out refinance, pulling out that equity, taking that money, repeating the process somewhere else, but you rent out that property, right? And that's your classic infinite return birth strategy. So in this particular scenario, now if you were to do a cash out refinance, remember the new property value is $160,000. You always need to leave 25% in, right? So you need to leave 40,000 in that deal, which means your new loan will be $120,000. You now take that, you go pay out the old loan, which was $75,000. It leaves you with $45,000 in hand. That's your equity in hand at the end of that refinance, right? And that is equivalent to what you put into the property to begin with, the $25,000 down and the $20,000 for the rehab. So you're left with $45,000 in hand. And so you're essentially, you pulled out all your money from the deal. And now you're in the scenario where you have infinite returns, right? And this is what we all talk about is like how amazing infinite returns are. You get your money back. You have a property that still has equity in it. That's still cash flowing. That's still increasing in value, right? You do get all of those benefits of real estate, but your money is out and you go reinvest it. So let's talk about in that year, in year one, what your ROI was for the money that you invested, right? So you put in $45,000 and you pull that out, hopefully within a six month period, sometimes even faster, right? So you're at the point where you got 100% ROI and that's just from forcing appreciation, from increasing the value, right? Now, suppose you were able to tap into advanced tax strategies. If you had real estate professional status, you would get another $15,000 in post-tax dollars saved. That's an additional 30% ROI, right? So 45,000 was what you had invested. You get another 15K, that's 30% ROI. So you have the 100% ROI because you pulled your money out, you get the tax savings, and then you've got the cash flow, the debt pay down, market appreciation that's happening for that pro property over time. That's say an additional 10,000, that's another 25%, right? So you have all of this happening in that first year. So you can see how massive your returns are year one. Now, we like to just end the story there and say infinite returns, whatever I make from this property going forward is infinite returns. That isn't the entire picture, right? And that's what I want to break down over here. So oftentimes I'll have people come and ask me, do I do a cash out refi? Do I do a 1031? Do I keep the property? Do I sell the property? And the answer depends on this, the second part of the question, right? So you're once, even though you're in that infinite return scenario, what you have to understand is that you still have equity in the deals. So you still have money trapped in the deal. Right. So what is that? So in this particular case, that's forty thousand dollars. Right. That's the money that you had to leave in there. The rest of which you got out as a loan. Right. So you have forty thousand dollars now in this property that was now at that point worth one hundred and sixty thousand dollars. Right. So what is that forty thousand dollars doing for you? Right. What is your return on equity? Right. And that's what we don't look at. And that's what we need to look at if you're looking at optimizing your portfolio, if you're trying to make these crucial decisions you know, cash out refi versus sell versus, you know, or 1031. So that $40,000, right? Now, what's happened in the first year when you did the burr, when you did the, when you forced appreciation is that you rapidly increase the value of the property. Going forward, that property is just sitting, it's like a passive property that is increasing in value over time with market appreciation. You have debt pay down happening, right? You're paying a portion of the mortgage that goes towards the equity. You have cash flow from the property. And so just plugging in normal numbers, cash flow is let's say it's around 
debt paid on about 5%. That's typical for a property that's just a passive buy and hold. 12% from market appreciation. That's because if you if the property is increasing value by 5,000 every year, you have 40,000 of equity in the deal. So your ROI is 12%, right? That's where leverage helps you increase your, multiply your return. So say you make 10,000 over the course of the year from all of these different things and that property, that's a 25%. ROI annually, that's what you're left with for that equity in the deal. Now, notice how when you did the birth strategy the first year, you got, you know, close to 150% ROI from forcing appreciation, the tax savings and the rest of it, the cash flow, debt pay down, all of that, right? And then going forward every year, and that number is dynamic, it's not static, but in the beginning, at least it's going to be about 25%. So there's a huge difference between your returns in year one and then going forward, right? That's typical for when you have when you're using the burst strategy, right? You have that boost in returns initially, and then it just like stays steady. That's what happens, right? And then the longer you hold it, the more equity you're building up, that your return on equity starts dropping a little bit, right? So your returns start dropping. And so that's typical for the burst strategy for what we also call the infinite return strategy, right? Now, this also happens in syndications. If you're investing in syndications, you'll notice that year one and year two, and this is because we acquire apartments that are hundreds of units, right? So you're not going to go in and rehab all of them at the same time. It's going to happen steadily over time. So the first two years is where you're doing the value add and you have the, you're executing the business plan. But following that, starting year three, typically your returns drop significantly because you go into that hold phase, right? Which is different from the first two years where you're rapidly increasing value. So your ROI in those first two years is three to four times what it is going to be as you continue to hold it, right? And so that's what I want you to see, right? When we say cash on cash returns, right? Or ROI, typically when we're talking about infinite returns, that's a static point of view. We're talking about our initial investment in the property. And then once we pull it out, we say cash on cash is, you know, your cash flow annually or your returns annually. And the denominator ends up, ends, be, ends up being your initial investment in the property. And so when that becomes zero, when you pull out your money, you go into the realm of infinite returns. But that's a very static way of looking at that property, right? Because what actually happens is that there's still equity in that property. So if, you're, if your denominator, instead of being initial cash invested in the property, if the denominator is your equity in the property at any given time, you'll notice that there's always a number. There's always a calculation over there, right? So that's what's important to realize. And as the property value increases, your equity in the property keeps increasing it because you always have need to have at least 25% equity in that property, right? And so if you really want to understand what your portfolio is doing for you and you really want to optimize your portfolio, I think it's very important for you to figure out what your return on equity is on a given property. That's the question you need to answer when you're thinking, do I do the birth strategy and I, or do I hold a property versus do I sell and do a 1031, right? That's the question. So how do you calculate equity, right? How, um, what is the formula for equity? Equity is always going to be the actual property price minus the loan that you have on the property. So, and that's going to fluctuate over time, right? Because what you, your, your loan on the property keeps decreasing and the property value keeps increasing over time. And so that's a dynamic number. And so at any point, it's going to be a different number. And when you calculate the right way to assess a property's performance is to look at the return on equity at any given point. And that could be cash flow annually divided by the equity in that property. It could be combined returns from tax savings from all of those things, right? Debt pay down, and then the denominator would be your equity in the property. And so that's that's what I wanted to really talk about today, right? So think about that second variable, that think about that second number that we don't typically think about. Now, 
So the question, so the main question then is, so Param, and I get this all the time, right? I have this property, especially if it was an accidental landlord scenario. Do I do a cash out refi and keep it? Or do I sell it and do a 1031 exchange? And so the, the answer is nuanced, right? It's going to depend. Different people are going to have different answers to it. And so let's talk about who should be doing a cash out refi and holding on to the property. Now, if you have additional cash to deploy to hit your goals, if you already hit your goals for investing, if your strategy is to hold, buy and hold these properties long-term because you want to stay passive in it, you don't want to actively keep growing your portfolio. Velocity of growth, you know, that uh, the getting super high returns is not really important to you. These properties actually meet your criteria in terms of what, you know, is it, in terms of the age, in terms of the kind of class of property, is this the kind of property I want to hold? You know, do I want to hold an appreciation market? Is that part of my strategy? If that's the kind of person you are, for me in my personal portfolio, I don't want to be super active in it. I want to transition. I like the hustle. I like doing the rehab and then transitioning it to a more passive buy and hold strategy. I'm okay with getting those lower returns because that's my long-term plan for that, for my personal portfolio, right? So that's where it makes sense to do that. Then you just do the burr, you do a cash out refi and hold on to that property. If it meets your buy box, then that's your strategy. Now, if you're someone who is really passionate about hitting financial freedom faster, you want your money to be making as much money for you as possible. This may be if you're really intent on being active, if you want, if you have real estate professional status, you really want to make your money grow fast by forcing appreciation as much as possible. And you want to tap into those advanced tax strategies. And then using that equity to buy a larger property is going to give you additional tax savings. If that's the kind of person you are, then 1031 exchanging your property or selling your property and purchasing another one is going to make more sense, right? Because you're freeing up the trapped equity in that property. This is also true, I believe, for anyone who is a limited partner in syndications, because you're already giving up a share of the profit because you want to be passive in the deal. And because you're passive, it makes sense for you to pick syndicators or operators who are active and you want your money to just keep growing faster for you because you're still passive, right? So since you're already passive in the deal, it makes sense for you to partner with people who are constantly growing the capital as rapidly as possible, maximizing those tax savings and forcing appreciation constantly so that you're still hitting your goals, right? That's the important thing to remember. So which bucket you fall into is going to depend on your overall long-term strategy and how much capital you have available to hit your goals, right? That's going to be the deciding factor. Now, if you made the decision that you want to, you know, you want to be selling the property, how do you sell the property without without triggering capital gains or depreciation recapture? This is pretty intuitive. There are basically four ways to do it. The most common one is, especially if you're a real estate investor and you're committed to this, you want to do a 1031 exchange. A 1031 exchange is where you use a facilitator. You sell the property, the money really doesn't hit your meet, hit your hands or your bank account. They hold on to it. And then you have timeframes. You have 45 days to identify the next property. And then you have 180 days to, to actually close on the transaction and, and you know, purchase a new property that has the same, that's the same value. So you can purchase up to three properties that have the same value and the same amount of equity in it as the prior property. And you're able to defer capital gains and depreciation recapture. When you do that, you're able to buy larger properties, really use that trapped equity to get more tax savings if that's the strategy that you're using to really give you that velocity of growth because you're using it now to force appreciation on another property, all of which just gives you that momentum. Something that we've used in the last few years because of bonus depreciation, because of 100% bonus depreciation, is what we call a lazy 1031. With a lazy 1031, what you do is you 
sell the same property, except you don't necessarily need to do a 1031. As long as you sell the property that has the trapped equity in it and you purchase another property in the same year and you bonus to appreciate the other property, the losses from that can offset the gains and depreciation recapture from the first property. Now, again, this is something you need to consult with your CPA and make sure it applies to your particular situation. In this year, because we only have 80% bonus depreciation, that you may have to acquire a property of higher value to be able to actually offset all of your capital gains and bonus depreciation. A little bit of calculation that needs to be done, but our investors have been doing this for years with syndications where it used to be called laddering syndications. You were able to exit one and enter another one and use the passive losses to offset the gains from the first. So the lazy 1031 we've been able to use effectively for the last five years and if bonus depreciation, if 100% bonus depreciation gets extended, then we may be able to continue using it. But there's still a way to tap into it, even with 80% bonus depreciation this year. Now, what else can you do if you're looking to sell a property and free up the trapped equity net? You could do the Section 121 exclusion, which means that if the property was a personal residence for two out of the last five years, you're able to uh, not pay, you get an exemption for paying capital gains on $250,000 of gains for a single individual and 500,000 if you're married, right? So that's something that you could tap into if if you if that property was a personal residence for two out of the five two out of the last five years, right? So that's something. And then if you're someone who has carried forward passive losses, which means if you have say $100,000 of passive losses sitting in that passive bucket for you, then again, you may be able to sell a property, free up the equity without having to necessarily do a 1031 exchange. So multiple ways to do it. I guess I wanted to bring it back to the point where you're looking at your portfolio the right way. You're optimizing your portfolio by not just looking at, you know, infinite returns, but really looking at the equity that's trapped within a property. And you're using that return on equity to make decisions about, selling a property versus holding on to a property. And so when I when I think when we say infinite returns, we're only looking at a part of the picture. And I think it's important for us to always be holistic and look at what that equity that's trapped in that property is doing for you and if that meets your goals. So hopefully that was helpful. I know a lot of you have always asked questions about, you know, do I hold this property? Do I sell it? And so this is something I wanted to do. I also wanted to give a different spin on infinite returns because, again, that's something I feel is just one is, is one half of the picture and this is the other half. Okay, guys, thank you for joining me. If you're interested in learning how to invest in long-term and short-term rentals the right way so you can accelerate to financial independence with the support of mentorship, community, and vetted investor agents in strong markets across the country, then get on the waitlist for the next cohort of Creating Generational Freedom at www.generationalwealthmd.com. You don't have to learn from decades of costly mistakes by yourself. The program is only open for enrollment in the spring and fall each year. In the last six months alone, our members have acquired over $60 million of real estate, and more importantly, they are living life and practicing medicine on their terms. You don't have to do it alone. I hope you've been inspired by this episode and are ready to take action. Your feedback means the world to me. If you found value in what you heard, I would greatly appreciate it if you could take a moment to rate the podcast, leave a review, and follow the podcast. And if you really like the episode, share it with a friend. Your ratings, reviews, follows, and shares not only motivate me, 
but they also help others discover the show and join the community. So please share your thoughts. Let me know what you liked and even what you'd like to hear more of in the future. I can't wait to hear from you. Stay tuned for more exciting episodes. And until next time, take care.